Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 24, with Chin Wong. Episode 24 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. Today on the show, our guest is Chin Wong. Chin is the creative director of ESPN the Magazine. She's also a graduate of Notre Dame and has been working at ESPN the Magazine since 2012, getting her start there as a senior art director and eventually becoming creative director. Her editorial design work has won numerous awards from entities such as the Society of Publication Designers, Print Magazine, Communication Arts. Uh, Her work has also appeared on many notable editorial design sites such as Numenology.com and CoverJunkie.com. Welcome to the show, Chin. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat. Thank you for having me. I'm very flattered to be on the show. Yeah, no problem. Glad to have you. So I gave a, a bit of a brief introduction, and, and I know you've listened to a couple of these, and, and I like to let my guests kind of go a little bit more in depth uh, on their backgrounds as far as telling their story, um, you know, how you got into design, and then specifically sure. moving into design for sports. Sure. Um, well, I graduated from Notre Dame with a degree in design. Um, I spent, I would say, most of my career in newspapers. Um, My first job out of school was at the Orlando Sentinel, where I used to color in the comics for Sunday. So I would have a tray of markers, and I would literally just color in within the line, sometimes not, once I did get a (laughs) note from my boss saying, you have to draw within the lines. Um, where, you know, that was my first job out of college. And then I went to work at the Charlotte Observer where I was a, um, designer and a graphic artist. And then I went to the Boston Globe. Uh, I was there for a very long time. I was there for almost nine years. Um, you know, people ask me a lot about my background in newspapers. And I always say, you know, I wouldn't say that newspapers is the, hotbed of visual excellence. Like nobody says, oh, I can't wait to be a designer at a newspaper. (laughs) But it was really um, a great place to grow up. Um, You know, you get a really, a a certain sense of news judgment that I think a lot of designers don't have, especially if you are in editorial design. You know, uh, there's nothing like articulating why you need to give up some words to an editor you know, and because you need a photo instead or a graphic instead to tell the story. You know, it, it just kind of gave me a good background on how to talk like an editor, fight for your ideas. You know, no one, you don't, you don't get that easily at a newspaper. You know, you get it fairly easily at a magazine because magazines kind of understand the partnership of visual and edit, I would say, better than a newspaper. Um, so I spent most of my career working at newspapers, and then I moved on to Boston Magazine. I was there for two years, where I ran a small staff of four. 
was a great um, kind of get your hands dirty with a very small budget. You know, I learned a lot there. And then when ESPN Mag moved from New York to Connecticut, uh, I gave the creative director at the time a call and said, please hire me. So he made the mistake of hiring me and here I am today. <laughs> so, so as a Golden Domer, um, are you a, a big sports and fo- especially football fan, college football? I am a big college football fan. Yes. I don't think you're allowed to start classes there unless you know everything about Irish football. So yes. Yeah. They might, they might boot you out over there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so part, so the staff, you said the staff moved from, uh, into Connecticut. I saw that there's like a little portion of the staff in NYC. Like what, what does that entail uh, over there? Well, the, uh, the magazine was always based in New York until about mm, three years ago, I think. And a lot of the edit staff came with the magazine, but I believe most of the art department stayed behind except one or two people. So there was a a totally different art staff here. Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. So how many, you said you have like one or two people there at that location, as far as like the magazine staff on the creative side, you know, speaking to designers and art directors, what's the total amount of people working on these, on these, on this magazine? Oh, there are six designers and we all work out of Connecticut. So the whole magazine moved from New York to Connecticut. Yep. Yep. So we're all based in Bristol. Okay. Okay. So I know that like, um, and I, I kind of touched on this a little bit with Ted Irvin. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to that episode or not, but there's, there's some semantics, you know, different views on like the semantics in different agencies and internal departments as far as design directors versus creative directors. And so I was curious, like as a creative director for the magazine, uh, can you touch on maybe some of those differences between your responsibilities in comparison to what design directors are doing? Uh, As a creative director, I oversee all of creative. So everything from, you know, typography to graphics to, you know, I have a very strong photo department. So everything um, that's non-words, I help kind of define the visual language of the whole magazine. Um, Design directors are much more specific to the actual graphic design of the pages. Okay. Okay. So are you getting to do much design execution yourself or are you sort of just like this bird's eye management level? Um, I actually do quite a few of the pages myself. I I don't think I have to. Um, I always think that you can't teach somebody how you want to do things if you can't do it yourself. You know, so if there's a certain look that I'm going for, or if there's a project that I'm working on, I always want to get my hands on it first to, so that I can, you, know, you, you lose a fair amount of credibility when you just kind of talk from above, not having done the work yourself. You know, yeah. I think, you know, editors who have written are better editors because they understand the process. And it, I, I feel like, you know, we work very hard here and I owe it to my designers to know what I'm talking about, you know, even if it's just something as small as, you know, chin, sometimes a printer doesn't work and how frustrating that is when you are trying to, you know, go over a page with an editor, you know, like I need to know those things to kind of help them do their best work. Right. I think that's, I think that's definitely a good thing. There's sort of like this and not to, not to knock teachers or anything anyway, but there's sort of like this, um, this general saying, those that, 
those that can do, those that can't teach, <laughs> right? Right, right, so, right, well, right. So I right. think there's, Absolutely. there's definitely Absolutely. A, a respect thing that, that is involved there for sure. And, and I think that's great that you get to do that. So as far as um, developing content for the magazine, is your team charged with, with some of that or are you simply just executing on the stuff that comes in? No, no. I mean, it's part of, you know, if you're an art director here and we have three, part of your job is to be what I call a content um, creator. You know, um, I don't know how familiar you are with a magazine, but our magazines are themed. So let's say if you're working on the interview issue, you know, I don't want editors to just give us ideas. I want us to come back and say, well, for this interview, we want an athlete to just you know, write captions for their Instagram photos, or we want this athlete to take a lie detector test, or we want to always push the editors to have visually driven content in the magazine. You know, to me, that's the difference between an art director and a designer. You know, a designer executes what I, you know, the the creative look that I want for the magazine. An art director is part of the creation of the content, even if it's, um, you know, from the very beginning. Right. Yeah. So like an example, as far as just so I can give some of the listeners an example, like I actually designed a magazine, not necessarily in the sports industry, but it's for the asphalt industry. It's a B2B publication comes out four times a year. And so on that one, Mm -hmm. I'm literally just executing. Like what happens is they're sending me, um, the photos already, or maybe I have an idea to offer whatever, but it's like, they have the content. They're giving me the content, Microsoft word files. Here's the photos here's the headlines. That's, that's the, that's the difference we're talking about here. Like I'm designing that. And then you guys are literally ingrained in the entire process. Right. Right. I mean, I always encourage our art directors to take the power for themselves. You know, you know, we are not a waiter giving the customer food. You know, we are in the kitchen creating the food to present to our fans. Like it's, you know, we are part of the process. So, you know, I actually look for that quality in an art director when I hire people. Okay. Okay. So, so now you're coming up with these ideas, right? And then like, so I'm curious, are there ever, are you reading every single word to every single story and then trying to interpret that through design? Or is it sometimes like the, the, the design, the idea for the design exists first and then the story comes later sort of thing? Well, we are in um, story lineup meetings where we talk about, let's say we're doing the Texas issue and we talk about what kind of stories we want to put in there. You know, we want a cowboy story. We want to talk about J.J. Watt, et cetera. I don't want to kid you. We don't, we sometimes don't get the story before it gets designed. I don't, I don't know if other people <laughs> on talk about, you know, like it's not, it's a great place to work, but it is not, you know, it's not an ideal place to work. By that, I mean nothing there's always things that kind of fall through the cracks. But, you know, if you're a good designer, you should be able to create a good design knowing the tone of the story, the general gist of the story, you know, what you are trying, what you are trying to communicate, you know? So, you know, for example, I just talked about the Texas issue. We know that we are writing a story about JJ Watt. How do we want to present him? You know, is he like the quintessential, you know, cowboy of Texas? You know, that sort of thing. We don't, we don't have the luxury of reading the story before we design it. Sometimes we do. I would say a lot of times we don't. But we don't let that stop us from kind of figuring out a solution to the, to the story. 
Right. Okay. So I, the, uh, on a side here on the, that particular JJ Watt issue, I was actually just looking at your site and sort of like this circuitous moment happened where I just saw this Mikey Burton or this Justin Metzel, Metzel or Metzel. I'm, I'm, on, I'm not sure how you say his Mazzel, last name. I his, think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I saw his, uh, I just saw the state of football thing on his dribble profile. And then like, as I'm looking at your site, I'm like, Oh, there it is. So it's, that's, that's I've been trying a, to update nice, the site since I knew we were talking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> cool. Cool. So, so like in the, um, in the conceptualizing process, are you guys using thumbnails and sketchbooks to try to plan out ahead of time? Or are you just kind of letting things happen organically and jumping right to the screen and, and, and making stuff? No, what we do, um, we, before the start of every issue, we create, I guess for lack of a better word, we create a mood board, so mm-hmm. we try to brainstorm, you know, when we think of Texas, what says Texas without being cliche? So, you know, what goes in, what comes out, we want to do a belt buckle. Yes. We don't want to do a cactus, you know? So right. we create like a certain, you know, in-house, we call it a system. So for the Texas, we know that we want to use lots of kind of Texas iconography, you know, badges you know, longhorns, the color red, stars. And if you look at the whole issue, that is the, you know, the elements and or the ingredients that we use for the whole feature well. You know, so for a different issue, we might have a totally different color palette. We might say, you know, we want the all the headlines to be in this font. We want the type to have this grid. You know, so for every issue, we create an overarching, what I call a visual system. And then all the designers who work on each story have to kind of pay homage to that system, but it also has to work for their individual feature. Okay. So when you, you're, when you break the magazine down, as far as like designers working on features are multiple designers designing one feature or are you like you, you have pages X through X and you have pages X through X? No, every designer usually has a feature. So, uh, what we put in, you know, what we say is, let's say, you know, we're working on the renegades issue. And I know that for that issue, I want to do something with spray paint, you know, similar to the artist Banksy who kind of spray paints all these subversive illustrations on streets. Like I know that's the inspiration for our issue for renegades. So we create Mm -hmm. lots of different manifestations of that look for the whole issue, you know? So for the cover, our ESPN logo is spray painted. You know, I think in that issue, we have an illustration of Jerry Jones literally spray painted. You know, we have like a, like a look that we are trying to, to use for every issue because every issue is different. You know, like how do you let people know that you're in the renegades issue versus, you know, um, the analytics issue and how does that look different? You know, is it more playful? Is, you know, does it, you know, they're just different kinds of looks that we try to achieve and surprise people with. Yeah. And, and I think that probably, and you can speak to this, but I think that that's would in my opinion, have a, a positive and beneficial, create a positive and beneficial experience as far as like a certain consistency throughout the whole magazine, as opposed to like, yeah. here's a magazine, the first four pages are the exact same every single issue. And then everything else, you just, you don't know what you're going to get. Like it's all different. Right. Right. Well, it's, you know, a lot of magazines, every feature is different. 
Right. You know, Um, and I think there are some people here who would feel very limited because you're given a certain parameter for each issue. You cannot use that font for this issue. You know, you cannot use that color for this issue. You have to have a graphic for this issue, you know, for every feature opener. You know, there are certain restrictions that we have, but I think if you're a good designer, you know, part of your job is to find solutions to a varying kind of storytelling. So, you know, in the feature well, you don't want your pages to look too different from the other ones. You want it to be different enough but you still want to look as if you're in the same family of features. I mean, that, I think that's what distinguishes ESPN magazine more than say other magazines where every feature is very, very different. Right. Right. So what, what about the instances where say a, you know, if, especially in an instance where you're designing ahead of time um, mm-hmm. and you have uh, the pagination and everything is set, uh, say a writer gets too wordy. Are you able to go back and have them cut some of that content or are you, are you just trying to manipulate your layout to make it work? Um, I would say 50, 50, you know, we, first of all, I work with a great group of editors who understand the power of visuals it's one thing to believe that in theory. It's another thing when you ask your writer to cut 900 words. So, you know, there's a lot of give and take. There's also certain features that we recognize. The photography is great. So we are going to sacrifice a little bit of the words for the photography. Mm-hmm. You know, other features, it's less so because it's, you know, I don't want to say it's just a game photo, but, you know, those have less, importance visually. So we might, it might be more wordy than others. You know, when we have an opportunity to shoot an athlete, the photography is always going to be bigger because, you know, that just kind of shows the access that we have as a magazine and we wouldn't shrink that photo or not use that photo to get more words in there. Right. And I think that, that definitely, I think you nailed it, that the access that you have is huge because, you know, like a lot of lower budget magazines or whatever, you're going to run into an issue of, is this photography high resolution enough? Or was this shot with right, some, right. Yeah, somebody's yeah. camera randomly somewhere or whatever? Right. So. right, right. I mean, we're, you know, most of us are used to seeing athletes in a singular way, right? Like they're either game action photos or they're uniform photos. So when you have an opportunity to shoot an athlete, you know, like when we have an opportunity to shoot Rob Gronkowski, you know, he's playful, he's with a cat, he's laughing, he has all these gear on, you know, we're going to, we're going to celebrate the fact that we are able to show you an athlete in a way that you're not going to see him, you know, in a different magazine. Like we celebrate that kind of photography and imagery. Right. Now on that particular subject, when working with, you know, these professional or, or big time college athletes or, or coaches on both levels, I think that there's probably no question that in certain instances, some ego may be involved. So how do you navigate those waters in regards to getting the shots that you want, especially with maybe some of the people that maybe don't have the, um, playful personalities or, or very cooperative on creative ideas? Well, you know, uh, you know, we shot, Carmelo Anthony in a suit and he looks fantastic. Um, I wouldn't say that when you put him in an uniform, he's a guy that has a lot of personality. So you just try to find ways to 
um, kind of bring that out in people. You know, there's no doubt that Gronkowski, I mean, I met him. He's a total ham, uh-huh. you know, he's very different from somebody who's a little bit more reserved and, you know, athletes aren't always necessarily comfortable in front of the camera. So we always try to kind of give them something that they're comfortable in, you know, before we shot Carmelo Anthony, the photo director and I, we looked at a lot of photos of him. We realized he's really into personal style. You know, he wears sunglasses a lot. Like we just try to get to know the athlete as much as we can. Um, also there are certain photographers who are very good having a connection with certain athletes than others. You know, we use a wide range of photographers who are good with portraiture or who are good with kind of, um, effects. It's a, you know, it's a balancing act of figuring out how to best present the athlete, but that also feels true to who the athlete is, you know, like we're not going to put Tom Brady with a cat. That's not his thing. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you know, we wouldn't put like a, a more, for lack of a better word, we wouldn't put a serious athlete with a cat on his shirt. Right. Now, other, so are you familiar by any chance with the photographer by the name of Jock McDonald? He, he talked about shooting, he shot like Robin Williams and a lot of like celebrities out on, in the West coast. And he, he mentioned shooting, uh, Dennis Rodman and how, like, <laughs> I don't know what he was shooting him for, but apparently like Dennis Rodman showed up and it, like, he didn't even know why he was there. It was basically like, I'm here. My agent told me to be here at like X amount of time. And I'm, <laughs> I'm just curious, like if you ever run into any of that with them, if it's always like, they know they're coming to shoot ESP in the magazine. Oh, I mean, I, you know, I don't go to too many photo shoots, but you know, like Rob was great. He was very, you know, we had cats there. We had lots of gear there. I think at some point, at a certain point, we asked him to take his shirt off and just wear a bow tie. I mean, he was, you know, he was great. I mean, you know, athletes these days are pretty PR savvy and they work with a team of people and, you know, we're pretty conscientious about um, doing right by the athlete and the story that we're trying to tell. Yeah, I can only imagine that um, that things have gotten quite a bit easier as far as like athletes. I feel like they tend to understand now that they are a brand themselves. Yeah, yeah. And so they tend, Absolutely. you know, managing themselves as a brand through social media. And, you know, a lot of these people tend to be business people, too. I know Carmelo Anthony is a huge entrepreneur and like an right. angel investor. Right. Well, for that cover, you know, he was on the cover of our big money issue. And that's, yeah. you know, that was a story that he was trying to tell is people know him a certain way on the basketball court. And with this story, he's just trying to show, look, I'm trying to have a legacy as a businessman and showing him in a beautiful style suit walking down the streets of New York with his entourage. That has a different narrative that he wants to tell um, than just him as a basketball player. Right. And, and I, and I think, you know, as a, as a concept, I mean, that's definitely to kind of, kind of toot your guys horn there a little bit. That's, that's very nicely executed because you have this guy who is playing in the arguably the Mecca of basketball, right? Although right, although they've been right. down in, in recent years, right. but, but, you know, also the Mecca of business. So it's sort of this nice contrast there that was, that was done. Is that, was that part of your whole mentality on that particular shoot or some of these like sort of beautiful accidents that just kind of happen? Well, no, it was carefully thought out. We talked to his PR people. Um, you know, it's also, he was also representing the big money issue. So, you know, right. it wouldn't have felt right to have him in uniform, for instance. So if we were doing the NBA preview, 
we would have wanted to see him in uniform. Mm-hmm. You know, so for every cover, we try to kind of illuminate to the fan what we are, what you're getting in the issue. So as far as like your mood boards and things and, and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of preparing for that issue ahead of time as, as it, you know, regards to typography, are you yeah. sort of going in based on those mood boards as well and trying to select fonts that you're going to use like from the, at this particular point or is some of that stuff kind of coming later? Do you have like particular budget set aside for buying new typefaces and things like that? Um, we, uh, oftentimes commission, uh, custom fonts. So, for our music issue, we commissioned a font that looks like the grooves of a vinyl record, you know, and we know that we're going to use that in the music issue. Um, so, you know, for the China issue, we, uh, I think it was done in-house, but one of our designers created an alphabet that kind of vaguely looked like um, Asian characters. So we use a lot of custom typography, my general feeling is if we do that, then you, everything else on the page has to have one of our brand fonts. You know, you can't, um, it's a little bit of a, uh, I don't want to say cheat, but it's a little too easy to create a fancy page because you have a brand new font, you know? So we try to kind of offset when we do commission a really beautiful custom type with our own branded typography. So, you know, if you do one, you have to do the other. Is your branded typography, you know, your, your body copy and and things like that, that are going to be consistent throughout every single page. Is that something that ESPN commissioned from the beginning as something completely ownable, or is it something that maybe you found a super nice typeface that worked? No, I mean, we use tungsten almost every issue. I love that font. Okay. And then our yeah, body I'm, copy. I'm a, I'm a huge nerd yeah. on that font right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I love, we use it all the time. And then our body copy is just Miller, which I've used, I think, at every, almost every place I've worked at. <laughs> I mean, uh, okay. that was our font at Boston Magazine. That was our font at, you know, Boston Globe. You know, designers get a little too wonky about fonts. You know, I always say you have to have an idea anybody can be a good designer with a fancy font. You know, the, the challenge is to be a good designer with just one font. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then, and also sort of just how you make that font work in regards to, you know, caps and small caps and bolds and all the different weights and things like that. That's where the beautiful thing comes in. And I think one of the big problems in this particular niche of design is, it's easy. And like you said, a lot of people tend to just, Oh, here's a super cool font. Let's just blow it out. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, that's not to say we haven't done it ourselves, but you know, when people come into my office and show me a page, I always say, what is it that you are trying to communicate by doing it this way? And if your answer is, well, it just kind of looks cool. You know, it almost always gets rejected. Like there has yeah. to be a point of view, you know, like every, everything that you put on the page from a color to a size of a graphic to a pull quote, everything um, has meaning, you know, and you have to kind of understand how it all works together. So I don't want someone looking at, you know, Wired Magazine, which everybody loves, and then copying that right. exact same thing for our magazine. It just doesn't work if it doesn't have any sort of storytelling component we do not do it so 
you know, from our mood board, you know, like we did a taboo issue where our mood board, you know, I said I want it to be a lot of scratchy, handwritten scribbles as if you're writing all your kind of secrets and deep thoughts in a diary, you know. So everything that we do has to have, you, you have to be communicating something. Like to me, that's at the heart of what design is, regardless of the medium that you are working in. Right. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. So uh, like as far as you have, you know, obviously you guys work with outside illustrators and I know that you said you have a f- uh, photography department. Are you also working with outside photographers as well? Yes. All of our photographers are freelance photographers. So we have, okay. photo- we have, we have photo editors. I'm sorry, I should clarify. We have photo editors um, okay. and then they assign out all of our photo assignments and we have staff designers who hire freelance illustrators. And okay. I got to tell you, there's a lot of really, really, really terrific illustrators out there. Yeah, it's there's. We I think that we're sort of in this time of illustration. Funny enough, if you look at uh, if you go to places like Dribble and just look at the stuff that's up, I mean, everybody's yeah. an illustrator almost. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, <laughs> A absolutely. Slash illustrator. <laughs> yeah, and the and the range of things that people do, you know, um, you know, we have, uh, on staff, we have what we call inspiration Fridays, where part of your job is just to look at stuff on dribble and Behance and finding talent who can work for the magazine. Cause yeah. it's overwhelming, you know, like you have to dedicate a certain amount of time to, you know, I love working with new illustrators. I love working with new typographers, you know, their level of enthusiasm is just really, inspiring. So, you know, I have my roster of illustrators that I always use, and then I'm always looking to find new people to bring into the magazine. So. Oh, that's, that's, that's great. Cause I I know that it's, it's easy to sort of get locked into this whole, like who are the famous dribble people and let's just use them every single time or whatever. And so, you know, I think that it's nice to hear that, you know, you might be finding, cause I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've seen some people on dribble that have like 20 followers and are super talented. Yeah. Yeah. Look, and you know, I, I'm not a very good self uh, promoter (laughs) as you can tell, but (laughs) you know, some of it is just some of these lesser known illustrators aren't just used to kind of celebrating their work, you know? So a lot of it is just marketing, you know what I mean? Um, But I, I love, I love working with really new, I, I love lo- working with new people, you know? So, you know, that's a goal of us, ours as a department is to recruit kind of new talent who can, you know, elevate like the ambition of what we're trying to do in the magazine. And, you know, there are certain illustrators that whose work I love, but I can't use because it doesn't really fit what I consider the look of the magazine. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, we don't do particularly cartoony or whimsical kind of illustrations, but there's a lot of really great, car- you know, like lighter, um, lifestyle illustrators that I love, but we are not. Yeah, like, like, like maybe like a Jessica Hish. You might not see like a Jessica Hish uh, headline in the right, Magazine. Right, right. I used to work with her. Yeah, right. Like, I just, okay. I can't do that. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, you know, I don't work at Real Simple. I work at ESPN. So, I try to be respectful to the magazine that we, that, that we are, you know, I love Jessica. She's great. Like all her typography and, but you know, we don't, we're not going to do beautiful curly ribbon type. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I want to. 
Hey, you might have some. Co- there might be. Uh, might be a. Uh, that might be conceptual. Just the contrast of it all. Like here's the hardcore, you know, right. type A football player article. We're gonna set this entire thing in whimsical type. <laughs> if somebody suggests that for the women's World Cup, I'm gonna have to stab somebody. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 No doubt. So, as far as like illustrators are concerned, though, are you are you finding that? it's better for them to sort of have this style that they're already known for? Or are you looking for people that are flexible that can just kind of, you can go to them and say, we're doing this kind of issue. We want you to be able to do this kind of work. Um, you know, I am in a very luxurious place because unlike my previous job at Boston magazine, where you had a very limited budget, I'm pretty, you know, we have a pretty healthy budget here at the magazine. So, even if you haven't done something, I'm happy to work with illustrators who are just trying something out. You know, like I'll see something on Dribble. I'm thinking about doing like a sticker badge look for the baseball preview. I like, I like what you've done. You only have like two or three samples. I don't know a hundred percent if you can pull it off, but I would still hire you anyway. Cause I just, you know, I'm always looking to make connections with people. Sometimes it'll get killed just because it's not, it didn't happen in, in the right, uh, didn't happen in the right way or it didn't make it in time or whatever. But, you know, because I have a healthier budget than say my, my other magazine counterparts, I mean, I would hire more than one illustrator for the same project. Oh, okay. So when you, when you do that and like you have, we've, we've kind of been on this theme of, you know, your theme issues, when you hire this one illustrator for this project and say, you, you know, you want a spot illustration here and some things here throughout the issue, are you, using them for that entire issue? Are you coming to them with sort of like this plethora of work saying like, here's all of our sort of ideas for this entire issue. And then it's like, they're cranking it out for the entire issue. Or is it like, you're just going to be on this one feature. If you're an illustrator who's illustrating a story, you would only be used once. Um, Mm -hmm. If you are a typographer or someone who does icons, we would probably use it consistently throughout the feature. Well, so, you know, I always over assign, uh, you know, uh, we we have limited space, so we could have 10 stories, but by the end of the magazine cycle, we might only have space for seven stories, say. And, you know, I assign things out for all 10 stories, knowing that seven only seven of them will survive. You know, uh, again, right. I have a healthier budget, so I'm able to kind of see what you can do if you're a freelance illustrator. I want to know how you're thinking, and then the next time there's an assignment, I know that I can call on you to do it, even if the story gets killed. Like I never dislike having a conversation with another creative person. Right, right. So are you guys, um, you know, because I think like illustration tends to be, sometimes can be pigeonholed as people that are making vector things. Are you also sort of looping in people that are doing like photo illustrations? Like a lot of people in the sports circles that I run into are maybe doing like photo manipulations and Absolutely. things like that. Yep. Are, okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's, cool. there's a certain emotional connection that people have with photos, especially yeah, action photos. Like I'm not going to get away from that, you know? Um, so we have, you know, we certainly have a whole list of photo illustrators that we go to. Photography is a huge thing in our magazine. Like we just, it just shows that we have access to athletes in a way that other magazines don't. So I would say most of the time we err on the side of photography more than illustration. Yeah. Especially when it's about a particular athlete. 
You know, as a designer, I've always still defaulted to that photography really makes and breaks magazines or publications or whatever you're using photography for. Right, right. You know, if the photography's bad, you can do the best design ever, but it's just, there's something about the photo that it's like people just gravitate to it. It's the human faces and the eyes and things like that. Yeah, I just think people have emotional attachments to to photos, you know, and I think people, sports fans especially, love seeing their athletes in a different way, right. you know, outside of their uniform. Them. Yeah, and, you know, humanizing them in their house, with their loved ones, with their family, you know, I think fans in general just because, you know, you can just Google somebody and see thousands of pictures of somebody, you know, Brady throwing a pass, but you know, people are, I want to see Brady kind of, who is he outside of the uniform? And we always try to do that with our photography. Right. Like where's the, where's the snarky internet humor, Twitter Brady that we see, you know, <laughs> that's, the... I know, right. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has that part down. He's, he's fit right into the whole internet culture with that type of stuff. <laughs> I know he's been doing a lot on social media lately. So yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that that's, uh, that's interesting because I think for me, the, the athletes that I really sort of appreciate and pay attention to are the ones that are more than, you know, they don't let this one thing define them, right? Like they're doing right. things that are interesting right. outside of the sport itself. Because at the end of the day, like, yeah, the sport consumes much of their life, but it's still a job, you know, like they got to, they could get injured anytime, <laughs> you know, like yep. that's just yep. the reality yep. of it. Well, you know, you can look at, you can know about an athlete like in a clinical way with X's and O's, but then when we had a cover of Peyton Manning and Ron Burgundy, you know, people love that because they're just not used to seeing Peyton kind of acting goofy in a photo. I mean, they've seen videos, but, you know, (laughs) people just got really excited about that. You know what I mean? So, you know, photos are very powerful and, and that's what people remember. I can guarantee you people don't remember what Gronk said in the interview, but they remember the picture of him with the cat. Yeah, absolutely. Have you found like anything that you guys are making sort of like makes its way into like funny, like internet memes or are you actually even producing internet memes? Um, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I I think they did when Prince Fielder, um, was on the cover of our body issue. Right. Oh yeah. 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 yeah, I think there were a lot of those. Yeah. Yeah. The body issue is, is, uh, is definitely an interesting thing that I'd love to touch on. Like it's, what was that like as far as, I mean, you guys are, you said you don't go to a lot of, a whole lot of photo shoots, right? I mean, are, I do, do you not, have some no. of your art directors are going? That, that uh, are, like, our pho- working our on photo people issue. go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I was just curious, like, as far as what that's been like moving into an issue that sort of, uh, depending on how you look at it, is famous or infamous, right? Like, it's sort of like this right, different thing right. that ESPN does. But it's also like, I think if you look at it like like what it is, which is these beautiful pieces of artwork and not only the photography, but the physical specimens of the human being. I'm curious, like, right, how that transition right. is as far as working on those in terms of, like, is it more fun to do those types of things since it's very visual uh, and less wordy maybe when you're laying those things out. Cause you guys are laying those out too, right? Yes. 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 I mean, I think the body issue is interesting. You know, I think it's not, it's eye candy to a point, but we're also, you know, I just had a meeting about the body issue yesterday where we are asking, well, is it stale? Do we need to think of something else? Should we show people's injuries so that we're not just putting this 
glossy, glamorous, you know, filter, you know, you know, we're, we're constantly asking ourselves how to change it up. I'm not sure what the answer is. I think body kind of takes on a life of its own. You know, it's not, um, it's a big brand for us. It's a big tent pole issue for us. So, right. you know, they've already started working on it. Well, I'll say from an outside perspective, obviously the entire issue is, is interesting, but some, some really interesting things that I see are the ones where, you know, like the, I can't think of the guy's name now, but the wide receiver who has like the broken finger, right. Or like the, just some of those types of things where it's like, here's a little bit more shock for you (laughs) (laughs) with the injuries and things like that. Cause, cause that's still the body. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, you know, I always try to think of my job as not just being a magazine, but being a magazine at a much bigger media company, you know? So what is my job at the magazine that's different than what sports center is doing or what.com is doing? You know, I always tell people, look, we try to give people a different kind of experience. You know, it's a slower, more thoughtful, more visually striking and more dramatic experience than say, seeing the same play over and over on TV or seeing kind of the play by play breakdown on dot com. Like I think the magazine kind of goes beyond the immediacy of what's happening, you know? So on sports center, they're going to keep showing that Malcolm Butler interception, you know, right. what does that story mean for our magazine? I think that means, you know, we were taking a sports highlight and trying to figure out a narrative to him as a player you know, who was he two years ago? How has his life changed from three days ago? You know, like that's to me, that's the difference between what we're trying to do in the magazine and how it's different from the rest of ESPN, which is a, which is a conversation we have all the time. Right. So, you know, yeah. I, I always tell people who want to have a job at the magazine, I say you have to really believe in the storytelling of the magazine, you know, as part of ESPN you know, there are a lot of magazine people who would love to work at ESPN. And I always say it's more ESPN than magazine, you know, like we don't, Yeah. you have to kind of, you know, it's, 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 it's not just magazine. It's, it's a lot ESPN. You have to understand kind of we're part of the portfolio of things that we offer people, if that makes any sense. Right. So if you're, uh, say an art director at, um, I don't know, random example like Southern Living and you absolutely love publication design, you need to have a passion for sport to come work for ESPN, even though you already love publication design. Yes, I think so. Got it. I think so. So, think so, so because of that, do you find that, uh, that you, uh, like, are you searching, do you ever search for inspiration completely outside of the sports realm or are you just completely consumed with it? Oh no. I mean, I, I think, you know, when I say you have to understand sports, I I just mean more understanding sports from a storytelling editorial perspective. You know, Mm -hmm. it's less about like the clinical plays, but you know, the best stories, a lot of them happen in sports. You know, you have winners and losers and comebacks and breakdowns and injuries and villains and heroes and all good stories have those elements, you know? So right. if you're a designer here, you have to understand, you know, those kind of things. Um, I mean, there are designers here who probably don't know too much about sports, but they understand that we are just, you know, for every feature, we are trying to tell 
a, a story and you have to have a fair amount of news judgment about, you know, if we're talking about so-and-so's injury, you know, do you kick off the page with the injury or do you kick off the page with the recovery? Like you have to, you have to be able to make good sound editorial judgments. I mean, to me, that's more important than being a good designer. You know, I'm not sure a lot of creative directors would agree with me, you know, but that's just how I see my role. You know, I'm not a, I wouldn't consider myself a designer's designer. I would consider myself an editor's designer. Like I have a tremendous amount of respect for the written word. I always try to do right by the story. I make all the designers read the stories when they're in. I really try to kind of pay homage to, to, to the word, you know, to the story, because I think that's, that's what differentiates an editorial designer from like a, just a designer designer. Right. So, and, and they don't have to necessarily understand sports from a technical level, but they just need to understand how important sports is culturally and, and that type of thing. Right. And, and, you know, that might not be the case if you work at sports center, you know, I've been to a few sports center uh, story meetings and you have to know your stuff. You know, you have to know what player got injured and who's, you know, whose contract is expiring. That is part of your job. But because at the magazine, we're trying to tell kind of good narratives, you know, it's less important, again, like the X's and O's of sports than just kind of how, you know, we're trying to tell stories through the lens of sports and athletes, tell good stories, I mean. Yeah, do you think that there's a a, a specific demographic in sports fans that are are more attracted to the stories more so than the say the the highlights and things like that because you know like at the end of the day like when seeing sports center top 10 like yeah there's a half court shot and whatever and all stuff but there's like how many times does that happen a year right like the odell beckham catch yeah that was amazing yeah, there's like yeah, a couple yeah. of those that happen that stand out but i think that from right. a, from a like 30 for 30s and those things that kind of go on this deeper level and tell the stories I feel like that's becoming a right. big thing today. Are you so you're seeing a lot of engagement with that? I think so. I think people appreciate good long, you know, there's a huge uptick in long form journalism that they wasn't there maybe 5 years ago. We are so bombarded with plays and sports highlights. I think when you have the time you want to be able to kind of sit back and then, you know, it doesn't even have to be in print, but you just want to read something substantive about an athlete that you care about or just a story behind the story. And something that's sort of presented in like an intelligent way, as opposed to the dead spin type link bait, whatever, you know, things or whatever (laughs) like that. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Like we're not, you know, we're not doing like timelines of things. We're not doing lists of things. You know, there's different kinds of, you know, sometimes you want fast food and sometimes you want a very long five course meal. You know, we try to stay away from kind of like the quick hit kind of stuff. That's not what we are about. I don't think, you know, we try not to be so. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would agree with you there. I mean, and I think honestly for me, like something, the thing that enamors me so much about 
design and branding and stories in sport are the stories behind it. Like people have these sort of connections. Everyone has this different connection to sport. It's not like this is what it is. It's the reason why I'm, I'm into this team or into this athlete is because maybe we knew somebody uh, or, you know, I went with my dad to this game and he passed away now or whatever. And, and those are like my memories. So that's the beautiful right. thing about sports. And it sort of unites people too, you know, like the world cup, for example. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. So have you, have you noticed, um, that maybe some of your uh, design direction and art direction with the magazine has started to push over into.com? Cause I've seen them sort of begin art directing specific articles now. Yep. Yep. You know, I think that was one of the reasons the magazine came to Bristol was to be part of the larger ESPN ecosystem. Um, I mean, there was a time, now there's a creative director over on digital who was kind of my partner, my partner over there. You know, a year ago, there wasn't anybody who did that. So, you know, it's, 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 you know, .com is very different. Their pacing is a, is a lot different than the pacing that we have here. So it's not kind of apples to apples. You know, we spend a lot of money setting up a certain shoot, styling somebody, you know, um, set, but when you're on dot com, everything goes so fast, you know, and you have to ask yourself, you know, is it worth the money and the resources for a story that's going to be up and then it's going to be taken down in, in a day, right. you know, as opposed to a magazine piece that's theoretically it's, it's, it's supposed to have a different experience than a dot com experience. So yeah, and I could I could totally see just from looking at the spreads on your website from this sort of far away angle how these things could become almost posters, honestly, for because the photography has such an emphasis where you know if uh, uh, you know Honey Badger is my favorite player, yeah. you could take that spread out and hang it on your walls. Well, you know, uh, thank you very much. You know, on the magazine too, you know. I assume that people are going to look at it a little bit longer than they would on a computer screen or on their phone. So a lot of our designers also do stuff for the web, for the website. And oh, okay. I always say, if I, if I don't get it in five seconds, we're not doing it because the, the patience that people have on your mobile phone is very different than the patience that people have in print. You know, we can do a lot more kind of fussier things design wise in print than you can, on, on mobile, you know, if you're going to present a graphic to me, I just want to be able to understand it in five seconds or less. Right. You know, there's so much competing for our attention. Yeah. And if, you know, that's how I navigate websites, you know, if it's too confusing, if it's too fussy, if it's over-designed, I just click away because it's very easy for me to do that. You know? So, you kind of have to understand how designing for different, uh, you know, for the website is very different from, from the magazine. Or you may end up taking the, uh, the, the, like the Apple, uh, you know, if you have an iPhone, the little thing that just strips out all the CSS and just read the words. Yep. Yep. A lot of this very custom stuff we would not do for the website. Yeah. So uh, the, the additional projects, as far as print is concerned, um, like say, I don't know, fantasy sports preview things or whatever like that, like are you guys laying those out too, even though they tend to be a little separate from the magazine? Yep, we just finished uh, ESPN Crick Info. Uh, we just did, so we do 
uh, all of the what we call special interest publications. So we do the fantasy football one. We um, we're doing a women's World Cup one. Um, we just finished a Crick Info one. So if it's print, chances are we do it. <laughs> Okay. I got you. So what about like, uh, what about like any, uh, promotional material, like, you know, direct mail, things like that? We do not do that. That I think that would be handled through our marketing group. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, uh, so, sort of wrapping up here, I'm curious. So a lot of people that work in sports and especially someone like yourself that is at ESPN sees people probably sees big time athletes coming in day to day. It's a, it's a totally normal thing in your life, but I'm curious, is there anybody that has sort of stood out? Like maybe that, uh, like for me, like I don't personally get starstruck, but I think two people I would get starstruck over are like Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods. Cause they're just like the biggest of the big in their, their Interesting, world. Really? Huh? Yeah. So what about, I'm just curious about you. Oh, well, let's see. I love Cam Newton. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> all the ladies love Cam Newton. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can put that in the podcast. Um, I just, I saw him. I was at, I was at, I was out in Phoenix and, uh, at the ESPN party, he was there. So I was very excited. I didn't really, you know, he didn't come anywhere close to me, but I did see him from afar. So that's very exciting. Um, <laughs> That made my whole, that made my whole week, that made my whole weekend. So I also <laughs> nice. went to graduate school at Auburn. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge Cam Newton fan. Oh, okay. um, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I don't see a lot of athletes around here. I think one time Jerry Jones made a comment about my shoes. So that was very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> you got on, got on, um, that's you getting on someone else's radar, right? That's pretty, <laughs> yeah, pretty well, crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, that was exciting, but that's about it. I mean, I see a lot of people in and out, you know, uh, I see Teddy Bruschi around campus all the time. It's not, you know, uncommon to see athletes around, but like I said, I feel really lucky to be here. I think very few people love their jobs and love the place where they work. You know, sometimes they're not, they don't always go hand in hand. I have loved my job at places where I did not like and vice versa. So I feel like I have the keys to the candy store here. So I'm very excited and I'm, I'm happy when I hear that people like what we do. Cause we, we try really hard and you know, we have a good staff and it's good to hear that. So when you uh, like on, when deadlines are approaching, is it like all hands on deck, crazy hours or, or just like, seems like what typical magazines are, or is it just sort of pretty steady the entire time? Uh, I wouldn't say it's steady. You know, we come out every two weeks. So uh, during what we call open week, our hours are not as bad. Um, and then during closed week, you know, we work long days. You know, we work 12, 14-hour days for about two, three days. It's not always like that. Sometimes it's less. Sometimes it's more. Um, it really kind of depends on every issue. Issues that we do regularly, like NFL draft or college football preview. We kind of know how to do that because we've done it for so long. Um, new issues like uh, we just finished the gambling issue. That's a new issue. It's a tougher needle to thread. So those take a little bit longer for us to figure out how to do. But, you know, it's also kind of fun. I mean, I've always worked nights and weekends when I worked at newspapers. I mean, I worked weekends and nights and holidays and, you know, people, 
people are more fun at night. <laughs> I don't know, you know, how <laughs> to say it, but you know, we're just goofing around. We eat together. We laugh together. Like it's not people are throwing balls in the office and, you know, watching funny YouTube videos and it's just part of the job. I accept it for what it is. You know, I'm a working mom. I do what I can. Um, so, you know, you do what you, you do what you have to do. Well, I don't know if that right. was a good answer or not, but no, that's that, that definitely, that definitely works. Well, what about uh, you? You're a freelancer. How does that, how does that, how, how are the hours? Do you feel like you're always on? Um, I do tend to feel like I'm always on just because, I don't, well, you know, obviously there are certain deadlines and things like that. And there are, there's a client that I'm on a retainer with that I tend to give priority to. So when they, they come to me and they're, we're actually on different time zones. So when they come to me, I may like, you know, work a little later because they are on like say the you know, mountain standard time, as opposed to me being on Eastern standard time. I do find though, that some of my best and most peaceful moments as far as working are like on Friday nights when, when like my kids go to bed. Cause there's like this weird, right. no pressure thing. You know, like nobody's sure. coming in in the morning. <laughs> nobody's going to be emailing me and asking me for things. So it's like I can actually just sit here and not worry about what else needs to get done. I can focus on this one particular thing. Right, right, right. I understand. You know, it's also this day and age too. Everybody expects you to be on all the time. You know, like if somebody sends an yeah. email at 11 o'clock at night, they expect you to answer at 1105. So. Right, right, and and honestly, like it's 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 kind of tough in the freelance world for that too because you it's sort of like if you're not answering those, <laughs> you might miss an opportunity, right? Like yeah. it's, it's like you're yeah. you're directly responsible for your income, so that's where things get kind of weird in the freelance world. But I try to make sure there's a little bit of a balance, and you know, I'll I'll let clients know when I'm going on vacation or whatever, and if it's an emergency, like I'll check my email once a day. Oh, I'll try to check my email once a day. It doesn't ever happen. I end up checking it every hour. <laughs> right. No, I, I'm the same way. I mean, my heart goes out to like, I love working with freelance illustrators and I always try to do right by them. Cause I think it's tough. You know, sometimes you get four assignments at once and sometimes you don't get anything for three weeks. It's tough to be, um, it's tough to be a freelancer out there, I think. And there's so much competition and, you know, I get things in my inbox all the time. And, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm just busy and I don't have the time to kind of, kind of filter the things that I want to, you know, people I want to use, but I, I try right. to do right by them for sure. I mean, it's, there's just so much stuff out there now, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. you we, know, 10 years ago, I would just look at other magazines and figure out who was using who, you know, now you right. can hire anybody really. You know? Yeah. And so, I think that's, that's the, the beauty of, it's sort of the beauty and the, almost, I don't want to say downfall because it's not necessarily a downfall, but like, as far as like a competition perspective, like used to be, you know, it was like, Oh, you're an illustrator or you're like doing this one particular thing. You can try to compete in that world or in that city or in that region. And now it's like, well, people can hire anybody from all over the world now, Yeah, you know, they're yeah. very visible and they're everywhere. So <laughs> you got to yeah. really step your game up and it becomes like this psychological thing where if, if you can't get Absolutely, to that level, sure. <laughs> yeah. You know? And a lot of people and, like things that you don't think is good enough. And you're like, really, why would it get so many likes? Like you, you're confused by it. Um, you yeah. know, I know most of the creative people I know are fairly introverted, including myself. So the fact that I'm doing this podcast is, you know, I got to tell you, I have to psych myself up for it. I'm not good at kind of 
promoting or kind of getting my work out there, but it's hard to compete if you don't do that. And I think it's very hard for a lot of creative people. And I'm one of those people, you know what I mean? Like I, the first time I tweeted, I kind of freaked out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I remember the first time that I wrote a blog post, somebody asked me to write like a guest blog post. And I was like, I've never written a blog post before. This is crazy. Everybody's going to see it. They're going to judge me. (laughs) You know, I know, I know. I'm already thinking like, (laughs) I'm already thinking, what did I say in this podcast? It's going to come and bite me in the ass. What did I say? I hope I said, you know, but I think a lot of creative people aren't used to that. You know, it's look every, every day I try to kind of set goals for myself. And one of my goals this year is just to be out there more, you know, internally and externally, you know, uh, you know, I'm one of the very few women in positions of leadership here. And I try to kind of speak up more and it's, you know, it's not in my blood and it's, I'm I'm trying, you know, I, but I think, it's tough for a lot of creatives, you know, and, and if you're a freelancer, it's even tougher. You it know, because tough. it's, it's a fine it's line tough. between promoting and kind of sounding, doing it a little bit too much. You know, it's a fine line to yeah. kind of. I don't know where it is, but you know, it's it's a tough it's a tough thing to do. Yeah, it can it can get very humble brag like after a while where you're retweeting every single somebody says your work's great and you retweet that like ten right, times. Right, right. You know, right. it's like hey, you know, favorite it. That's cool, but <laughs> there's all these yeah. protocols now. It's very, um, you know, it's a totally different feel. Like my job has it, it evolves every every few weeks. You know, we all kind of do our best to be kind of good citizens with each other. I think, you know, I'm, I I always try to kind of full, when I work with a good illustrator, I always try to forward his or her work to other people around the company to say, Hey, I just worked with him. You know, he was great. You know, use him on com or, you know, I just think that's the small thing that we can do as one creative to another. Right. I totally agree. And, you know, I think it's for what it's worth. I thought you did great here. You, you know, because I think when you're, when you just to kind of give you a little confidence there, because I think when you're talking about something you that you're passionate about, cheerleader. <laughs> just, just listen to halftime every other week and I'll, I'll see, I'll see if I can okay, do that. I will listen to halftime. You have a very soothing voice, so I will listen to your halftime. You know, it's just, you're out of your comfort zone. Like I can talk design like nobody's business, but then once you kind of talk about all the other stuff. Oh, you know who's standing outside my office right now giving me a look? It's my editor-in-chief, who is a veteran at podcast. Yes. Nice. Chad Millman. Very cool. So uh, real quick, and I don't know how, I mean, I might cut some of this stuff out. I don't know, because we sort of just started oh, yeah, ramb- please do. rambling a little bit. <laughs> but um, No, am I, r- yeah, it's okay if you just give me like 20 minutes. <laughs> no, 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 we're fine, we're fine. Um, I had all quick, sorts of prepared answers about being a woman in sports media, but you didn't ask, you didn't ask me any of those, which I actually kind of appreciate. Well, you know, and see, that's... <laughs> I've, I've run into that, like, as far as like, you know, uh, my thing, and I've, you probably heard me say this to Ted is like, I want to get people that are super talented on the show, no matter like, and I don't want to discriminate based on any factors. Right. And so right. I, I want to, I don't want that to be a thing, you know, like just because you are a woman on the show, like you're talented. <laughs> no, I really appreciate so, that. <laughs> so yeah. Cause people have asked me, you know, about being, 
working at ESPN. I'm like, look, I'm a good designer. I think it could work at ESPN or at Real Simple or at Glamour or, at, you know, it's gender is just, I, I don't. I don't want that to be the first thing that people talk about my work, I guess, you know, well, I think. Yeah. I think you have to also kind of look and see like where, like I, you know, growing up in the South and being a Kentucky basketball fan and then obviously like SEC football, like I, some women that I know are the biggest sports fans there are. So yeah. it, it's never really been like a thing for me because like everybody goes to the SEC football games, everybody, you know, my, my grandma could name Kentucky starting five, right? Like that's just right. a thing. Yep. Yep. I grew up in the South too, you know, and yeah, I think the, the way to be treated equal is not to be reminded that you're not equal. Right. I agree. You know, that's why I don't believe in pink Red Sox hats. Yeah. 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 Well, we could go down a whole other path there with like the pink things and like even uh, like uh, military uh, uniforms or whatever. Like yeah. <laughs> there's a there's yeah. many different paths we could go down on that one as far as like w- what we think about it. But real quick, let's uh, just so listeners can sort of keep up to date with you and, and support you and see your work. Where can they where can they find you online? Um, well, they can always email me because I'm old school, it's chen.wong at ESPN.com. I'm going to try to tweet more than once every two weeks on the cover. So I'm on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I really only do it once every two weeks, but uh, you have inspired me. I'm going to try to do it maybe once a week. <laughs> there um, you go. Baby yeah, steps. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm at Chinmong ESPN. Um, you have been great. I've listened to all your podcasts. You ask really, really smart questions. Well, I, I appreciate that. That's something that uh, that I really try to do. And, and I think, you know, one of the – this podcast really sort of fills my own need because I wanted to have these sort of engaging and higher-level discussions in sports as right. opposed to just the stereotypical, I don't like that new NBA logo. You know, right, like let's right. really get yeah. behind the scenes on the strategy and and, you know, really kind of see that these are the people that are doing this stuff like yourself and like the other guests are are at a super high level. You know, it's not just about oh, making well, something you. subjectively cool. There's a reason thank for the for the decisions that are made. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was really great. I'm, I'm very glad to have you on the show and I, I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Same here. Thank you very much. Doing something a little bit different on the next episode, I'm actually going to be foregoing next week's halftime episode in order to bring a past guest back for Milestone episode 25. Joe Bosack, my good friend of Joe Bosack and company, is coming back to the podcast for the Interception Show. He's going to be intercepting the mic and hosting the show. Joe actually pitched me on this idea a while back uh, through while we were talking via chat about interviewing me for the show. Uh, and, I, and I know that I tend to, you guys tend to have an idea of my personality already, but I thought it might be a good time after 25 episodes to really tell my story and sort of what led me here today. So there will be no episode next week. Uh, we're skipping halftime, like I said. The schedule will continue the following week where we will have that particular episode, episode 25, and then move back into halftime and interview, halftime and interview, the the alternating schedule the following weeks. Big thanks again to Chin Wong for giving us some of her time. 
again, you can follow her on Twitter where she tweets very sparingly and is going to pick that up for us at Chin Wong ESPN. That's her Twitter account. And you can view her work at her website, ChinWongDesign.com. And that's Wong, W-A-N-G. Real quick, if you haven't been listening to Halftime, we talked about it a little bit on the show. I highly suggest you go and check it out. I've been getting a lot of great feedback on the mini series where I discuss things like business, entrepreneurship, professionalism uh, in the design industry and sports. And uh, they're basically 20 minutes or less halftime speeches on the off weeks of interviews. Last week's episode was actually titled, You're Talented, So What?, and so basically that involved me talking about things like self-promotion and networking and getting to meet people. Uh, lastly, please take two minutes and write a review of the show on iTunes. Please reward Chin for her kindness by even rating this particular episode on iTunes. You can get there by going to makersofsport.com slash iTunes. This isn't about egos here. It makes us feel good reading these reviews. Uh, and it makes me feel good knowing that we're sort of making a difference in, in some people's lives and careers. Yes, but that uh, it's not only about that. It helps the show get discovered and continues to link us with great a great community of creators in this industry that want to do quality and professional work. If you've gotten value from myself or any of the guests on the show, then share and rate the content so others will discover the show as well. As always, I'll accept any ratings on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever application you happen to be listening in. And to reiterate, I've chosen not to subject your ears to sponsors. So you don't have to hit the skip forward button here while I'm telling you about some crowdsourcing logo design site or some email program. The shows are 100% quality content. And per the last halftime topic, please don't be a taker. I'm T. Adam Martin on Twitter and Dribble. The show is Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week. Yeah.